0: Will you join me as I pray? Our Father, thank you. Yeah, we come to these moments asking that you would help us to receive this word the way that this text is going to teach us to receive your word, that we would welcome it like a cherished friend, that we would welcome you in and reorder our lives around your word. We need your help to engage with the scriptures in this way. And I pray that my brothers and sisters, by the power of your spirit, would, would receive you and that in receiving you, they would know your delight and your care, that we would together be a community full of delight, knowing that you have delighted in us this morning. You're welcome to this place, God. We thank you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know the difference between a home that's marked by tension and one that's marked by delight? You can almost feel it in the air in the room. We've all experienced both at different points, sometimes in the same day. You know, a home that's marked by tension where you can almost cut the air. A home marked by delight. I experienced both, I kind of experienced both poles, especially with one of my children over, over the weekend. My, my youngest came into the room, um, I guess yesterday, and he was, he was working on a crusty piece of bread, you know? And he was working at it as he was just strolling around the house, kind of gnawing on it, crumbs dropping along behind him as he goes. And many of you know my wife is pregnant. we got a lot going on. Trying to not add just piles of crumbs to every room is, is, feels like something that dad can do to step in. But I just felt the tension. I felt the space. And I, I overreacted to the crusty bread situation. I was like, Judah, what are you doing? What are you doing? Go outside and finish that. You know we don't walk around and eat in this house and immediately this look on his face like such sadness big tears one of those where the two shoulders almost touch he walked out to the front and sat down on our front porch and I just it was immediate like ah dang it way too much for just the crusty bread I had to go out and sit with him and be like oh buddy I'm sorry we don't walk around and eat that's true we also don't speak to one another that way and I need your forgiveness. <laughs> it's okay, dad, you know? And, uh, and then beautifully, in the grace and the kindness that only five-year-olds know, like as I'm tucking him in, you know like bedtime with, with little ones is such, a, is such a sweet gift. And as I go in to visit him, many nights what he likes to do he likes to count the snuggle so it's hug snuggle kiss and the snuggle he wants to count he gives it like an amount tonight's like a 10 snuggle or a 20 snuggle so hug snuggle and then he starts counting out one two and so the snuggle is cheek to cheek and you just wait for for him to count to whatever number he has determined (laughs) which is just a treasure you know it's going to end it's going to end at some point i know such a treasure right now when he wants to count it out. And so the other night, cheek to cheek, he's counting his, his named snuggle. And, uh, and my, my mouth kind of by his ear, I, w- I just said, oh, I delight in you. And he pulled my face back and he said, and I delight in you. <laughs> that feeling is so different than the crusty bread scenario, you know? the air feels different, everything about the experience is different. And as I've been praying for you, what I know to be the case is that we've we've been raised in homes that felt like one of those two things consistently. Many of you have been in local church settings that have felt like one or the other of those things. You've known tension in your home and with your parents. You've, you've known, some of you have had really heartrending situations and communities of faith that you are a part of. Or I just, I just wanna admit that I, I feel the grief of that today. And what I want to, to explore with you is the beauty that God has for the community of faith that steps into this journey you know, we're on a two-week kind of hiatus from Genesis. Last week we ordained and installed elders in this space, and we're going to take the very next passage in First Thessalonians 2, because something beautiful happens right on the heels of godly leaders kind of having their ministry explained in First Thessalonians 2, is that Paul then talks about a community that is full of delight. He talks about what it looks like and what's happening in a community that is full of delight. And and I just want you to know, this sermon on our sixth birthday as a church is my attempt to lean in and let you know that I delight in you. And not just I, but your elders, those who've stepped in with sobriety to the calling of loving and praying for this community. We do this work because We delight in you. And I wanna explore what that means biblically together in hopes that God would continue to meet us and help us to live into this vision together. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 20 is Paul exploring his affection for the people in Thessalonica. And the, the first way that he expresses his affection for them, the first reason that he gives why he delights in them the way that he does, is he's going to say that they have welcomed the word of God like a dear friend. There's two words that he's playing off in this text. You're going to see them accept and receive, accept and receive. And one is a traditional word it's like a nicety um this would be the idea of like the last formal event you went to maybe it was a really nice work party like a dinner work party or maybe it was a wedding it's one of those situations where you're wearing shoes that aren't very comfortable and that your collar's a little too tight Go back to that space and you're walking around you're interacting with people those interactions may be very genuine, but oftentimes they are marked by what we would summarize as niceties. Oh, good. Good to see you. Nice. How's the family? Everything okay? Great. And, and it kind of ends there. This would be the, the first type of word in the way that people could interact with the scriptures. And Paul says, you, you interacted with the scriptures there, but you didn't stop there. You also, you practiced this hospitable reception. The second word, the, the other word in this text is one of hospitality, and, and for me, my, the image that's been filling my mind is our, our best friends, the Willinghams, live just around the corner from us. Many of you know that Ashley, my wife's college roommate, and my college roommate also got married. And when we were moving back to Houston, we called them and said, hey, will you sell your house and move into the city and we could raise our families together? And they did. And so we live two blocks from one another and we raise our kids together. We're 11 years in as our kids run back and forth daily and we're in and out of each other's homes. And what I've experienced from this family is outrageous, generous hospitality. When my family shows up at their doorstep, we are never made to feel like an interruption, ever. It's amazing. They're way better at it than we are. They they oftentimes meet us at the door and they welcome us right in whatever it is that they were doing we become a part of it they're like hey we're just we're camped out on the couch watching the Stros. want to join us and all of a sudden we're a part of the conversation we're in what's happening in their lives this is the way that paul is going to express the way the thessalonians have received the word of god he said you didn't you didn't interact with the word like niceties you welcomed it like a dear friend and you rearranged whatever it is that you were doing around the word listen to it in the text with me in verse 13 he says, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it, what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, Believers. What he's saying is you didn't just treat it with niceties, you welcomed it. You you brought it in, you received it with hospitality in a way that it began to work in you. Listen, friends, you delight the hearts of your elders when you receive the word of God in this way. And I need you to know that I see this in this community and it, it causes joy to bubble up in me. Now, what we need to admit together, and what I need to invite you to commit to if you're going to continue to be a part of this family, is we all have to agree that when it comes to Jeremiah's opinions or the opinions of any of the other elders, we all have to commit to this fact we don't care. (laughs) We don't care about Jeremiah's opinion or anyone else that fills this pulpit. Our commitment is this, the invitation for this family to continue to be a delight to the heart of God and to the delight to the elders is this, only where my words or the words of the elders align with the word of God, only there do you receive it with hospitality. There where there's alignment, you say, oh, come in, sit down in my living room and reorder the way that I've been thinking about life. And we have seen this in you. The elders often talk, one of our favorite responsibilities and activities that we get to participate in is what we call our gospel partner meetings. Many of you have experienced these. The way that you join Seven Mile Road is that after you've been in in a house church for a season, at least a semester, then you, you can join if you desire. And you join the mission, you get trained in who we are and what we value, and at the the conclusion of that training, you finish an individual discipleship plan, what you believe Jesus is calling you to in your next steps of obedience. And, And then you come and you meet with an elder, and we process that experience together. That meeting has been one of our great joys. In those meetings, I have heard things like, the Lord is convicting me, I think. I think I rely too much on the glass or two or three of red wine that I have to finish the day. I think it's been the source of comfort in my heart and it's it's not effective. And so one of my next steps of obedience is I wanna step out of that. Or, you know, my wife and I, or my husband and I, we've actually never prayed together, but we are beginning to realize that God wants our home to be an epicenter of discipleship, and it starts with us. We're committing to pray together daily or committing to commend the scriptures to our children, or me and my roommates are starting to confess sin because we want to live in the light and pursue humility and holiness together. When I hear these things on your lips, listen, Seven Mile Road, it delights the heart of your leaders. Because what it means is this, you're not playing niceties with the scriptures. Like shake the hand and then move on with life. Listen, if that's that's the game that you're attempting to play in this space, I'm glad you're here. But we're gonna work really hard to make it uncomfortable for you. (laughs) Like, we don't want you to stay there. Practicing niceties with God's word that will deliver freedom and fullness into your life if you'll just invite it in and let it sit on the couch with you and begin to reorder life. This, seeing this continue to happen in you, oh, it delights me. I'm so thankful for you. You see, what what Paul is expressing to the Thessalonians is that I see the word of God at work in you because you have welcomed it like a cherished friend. And then he takes one step further and he actually expresses when you allow the word of God in in that way and it begins to work, it works something specific, particular in you. And he, he helps them see what it is. What he says is this, you have joyfully endured suffering. When the word of God is at work in you, what happens is you you don't just exist through suffering, you don't just make it to the other side of suffering, but you joyfully endure suffering, and this delights the hearts of your leaders. I want you to hear it in, in these next set of verses. Pay attention to two little words. It's the same word repeated. It's the word for. This is how Paul builds his arguments. He's building a case. And four is a grounds clause that says, this last thing I said is true because of this next thing. And he's building a case to help us see how is it that you have come to endure suffering in this way? And he's saying it's because you've welcomed the word in that way. Let's see it in verses 14 through 16. This is what he says. For, so... In light of the fact that you've welcomed God's word in this way, you, brothers and sisters, have become imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all of mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So, as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Do you hear it? He's saying, you have endured real persecution. Just before I apply this to our particular setting, I just need one brief theological aside on these verses, if I may. Some have used this text and twisted it to say that the New Testament is anti-Semitic. Because Paul says, you see how the Jews did these awful things and now wrath is on them. Listen, I just need to make this really plain for us. Your New Testament is not anti Semitic. Paul is Jewish. Paul loves Jewish people and has said elsewhere, I would gladly be cut off that they might be saved. He is calling people to follow a Jewish man. Jesus, God in flesh, was a Jewish man. He cherishes his Jewish heritage in, in the proper ways. What he is saying is the leaders of the Jews have threatened and stopped the spread of the gospel in some of these areas. And for that reason, the judgment of God is gonna be on them. But I just, I just wanna make that plain because I've, I've heard that argument. I think I, I just want us to be the sort of people that say, well, that has no purchase here. What he's getting at more than trying to make a particular racial argument what he's saying is in the confrontation of global suffering as you are facing it with your countrymen as we faced it with ours back here he's saying in that space what I have seen of you is you have endured even as the sparks are flying up the attentive reader might say to me Jeremiah you said joyfully endure suffering I don't see joy anywhere in this text you're just slipping that word in on us Good question. Thank you, attentive listener, for that question. This is not the first time that Paul has used these words in this short epistle. He's already talked about it in chapter one, and he's already established that the way that they're going about it is joyfully. But I want to make sure that you see that. Look back at chapter one and verse six with me. The very same thread of the argument that he's establishing at the beginning of the letter. He says this, You became imitators of us and of the Lord for you received the word with hospitality and much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You have joyfully endured suffering. Each one of us is like a cup that is full of something. And when suffering arrives at your doorstep, it's like your cup gets jostled. Whatever's in there is coming out. If you want to know what's really in your heart, pay attention to what spills out of you in the midst of suffering. It's what was always there, but the suffering is finally revealing. This text poses the question for us, what happens in the midst of your mistreatment, your suffering, your tension? Is it bitterness? Anger? Fear? The honest truth for me is oftentimes it's cynicism and coldness. Like I can maintain the party line but if I'm not careful I can be praying in such a way that's detached and not actually believing that God cares because the pain makes it feel like ah, maybe, maybe not. Or if if I'm living into my kind of older brother, religiously pious self, which is also very present and maybe you have felt at times, it's, it's the older brother. It's the really religious one that when suffering shows up, he gets angry or she gets angry because they say something like, God, what in the world? Don't you see that I've been praying and fasting and giving and serving and I deserve better than this, as if God is indebted to us, as if the ways that we have been serving was trying to put him in our debt. You see, what is it that spills out in the midst of suffering? I had the great privilege of doing a funeral this weekend. I see a couple people here that were there with me yesterday. A, A dear friend that suffered from, with cancer for about 20 years. And in the last few years, the dial kept getting turned up on the intensity of the battle that she was facing. And a couple of years ago, she called me and, and she made a request of me that at the time, I didn't, I didn't quite realize what sacred ground she was inviting me into. She said, will you pastor me through this? I said, I will. So we had standing calls where we would process the most recent information from the doctors, her prayers for her children and her husband, the grief and the sadness and the joy of it all. And I remember our last phone call. I didn't know it was our last at the time, but I knew that time was short. And it happened to be on the same day that Ashley and I had just learned that our little baby that's due in December had special needs. Many of you have heard that story. And so I was calling to pastor my friend Don. But she asked how I was doing and I mentioned what we had just learned and she kind of postured herself to just listen and care for me, which I was like, no, 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 I'm I'm calling to care for you. And she said, no, I just, I need to share a little bit of what I've learned from this journey. And she said, Jeremiah, God defines good. I was like, yeah, that sounds good. I feel like that would fit on my coffee mug. But tell me, like, what, what do you mean by that, right? And she said, uh, God defines good, like cancer is an unruly beast. And I've been praying for 20 years that he would take it away, saying you work everything for good for those that love you, like take it away. And she said, and, and he defines good. And goodness in this situation has not been to take it away. It's been better than that. His commitment has been to draw my heart closer to him than I've ever known. And he said, cancer is what's gotten me there. God defines good, Jeremiah. And listen, he's being good to you right now. It's like, oh. There's something about joyful endurance on the lips of a dying woman that has just produced such fruitfulness in my heart and in our family. And what we've realized is this: God, God defines good. And listen, Seven Mile Road, I delight in you because I've seen it in you. I've seen singles who long to be married and as singleness persists, I've seen you joyfully endure. I trust that God is being good in the season. I've seen it. You've sat on my couch and we've, we've cried and we've prayed and I've seen it in you. I've seen it in couples that feel like they're swirling around the same old argument again, wondering, are we always going to be here? But in that space, you choose to welcome the word of God in like a friend and say, no, we have hope that God's going to continue to move and you joyfully endure. I've seen people in this community experience such betrayal, like deep and heartrending betrayal and still choose to endure and to love. It's worshipful to watch you believe that God will define good. Seven Mile Road, I rejoice in you. The way that you welcome God's word in, like a dear friend, you allow it to do its work, and you joyfully endure. Paul helps give language to the warmth that I feel, like the the thing that starts to bubble up in me when I meditate on it. In verses 17 through 20, he's trying to express what happens in inside of a leader when he he sees this in a family. And I want you to hear the intense language of delight that bubbles up in verses 17 through 20. Pay attention, I've I've highlighted some of them for you in the text, Just, just follow with me, verses 17 through 20. He says this, but since we were torn away from you brothers for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? You are our glory and our joy. I mean, this is elevated language from Paul to the Thessalonian church. What he is saying is this, one day the sky is going to be peeled back and Jesus is going to come in all of his glory, riding on the clouds. And what he is saying is that the elders of the local community of God are going to stand and give account. He's saying, I'm going going to be standing in that moment and what I'm going to say is, Jesus, look it's your radiant bride. And in your kindness and in your grace, you allowed me to serve and oversee and pray in such a way that they've welcomed your word. They've endured joyfully. And he says in that moment, he's going, listen, friends, I'll tell you what my crown of boasting is, what my joy, what my hope, it's you. It's you. And so we're on this journey together, like a few years in, and we've tasted this in little bits and pieces, but we long for more. Like maybe it's never registered for, maybe you've never lived in a space like that. It's something we want to cultivate and lean into. I remember growing up when I was six, my sister's much older than me. She was 18, about to leave the house. And I remember it was maybe Mother's Day or my mom's birthday, something like this. She took Proverbs 31 and she took verse after verse about like the noble woman. And she'd take a verse and she illustrated it. She drew a picture and explained how my mom fulfilled it. And she made this like book that she gave to her. And I remember at six watching this thing happen where my sister gave this like thoughtful, handmade thing to my mom. And I watched as my mom received it and read it and her tears and my sister's tears and their hugs and quite frankly, as a six-year-old boy, I'm not sure I really got what was going on. But I remember thinking, I like living in this house. Like, I, that's that's a safe and wonderful place to be. That was a gift to grow up in a home like that. Mutual delight. I don't know if, if you've tasted that. If there's maybe been more crusty bread moments than moments of delight in your past. If that's a grief that you carry, I'm sorry. If you've been wounded by the church in those ways, I'm doubly sorry. And I'm not proclaiming that I or the other elders will perfectly lead and love this family. But what I am telling you today is that six years in, I'm rejoicing that we're tasting this together. Delight a community that is full of delight. And my hope is that 16 and 36 years from now we'll continue to say, look at what God is doing. Listen, you're invited to lean in. You're invited to participate in that sort of culture, that sort of experience. And listen, it's risky. It's dangerous. It's dangerous to open yourself up to love like that. There will be moments of crusty bread realities where we're wounded by someone close to us, where it doesn't feel the way we hoped it would feel and we have to practice forgiveness and say the good and the hard things. It's not easy, but it's good to be a part of a community marked by delight. And the reason that you long for it, the reason that you grieve the places where you haven't tasted it, the reason everything inside of you goes, oh, wouldn't that be sweet to live there? It's because what I'm describing to you is the heart of God. God who he is at the core the father with great delight in his son and great delight over all that he had created sent his son into the world and his son delighting in the heart of his father received his word in such a way that he reordered his steps around the word of the father day in and day out even where it drove him into suffering And in the midst of suffering, submitted to the word of the father, he joyfully endured for your sake and mine. And the people that he was interacting with did not respond with delight. They, like you and like me, rejected his care, his provision, his leadership, and his word. They said, thanks, but no thanks. We know better. And as a result, humanity has been at odds with God. There's there's bad blood. There are crusty bread moments. There's tension in our life with God because we have said thanks, but no thanks. We don't want your delight in your care, but Jesus endured bleeding and dying on the cross, paying for our folly and our sin. And in his resurrected life, he received the vindication of the Father, and he He was invited into the heavenlies with the Father, Father, Son, and Spirit with perfect, restored delight. They delight in one another constantly. And because of the completed work of Jesus, there is an extended hand to you and to me saying, come home to delight. Be folded into my heart and experience what it is to be covered over with my love and my provision. We are invited to be men and women that receive the grace of Jesus in, in our marrow. And as we do, we begin to experience delight and we risk to usher one another in. We welcome his word. We joyfully endure. We experience boundless delight together. Uh, Seven Mile Road, I love you. I delight in you. And so much more importantly than that, Your Father in heaven delights in you because of what Jesus has done. Let me pray for us. Ah, God, thank you for being this sort of God, building this sort of family. We just admit at the outset, God, that we will not live into this vision perfectly. I will not play the role you've called me to perfectly. We all will fail one another, but our request is that your grace would cover us and that we would be a family shot through with delight. That we would keep our eyes on Jesus, celebrating and enjoying him. I pray that any of my friends here that have yet to trust in him, that they would feel a burning in their heart to be folded in, to admit the ways that they have resisted your word and to receive your lordship, to confess that you are king of their lives, to to say yes to you as savior, and to experience the folding in to a community, and ultimately to your heart of delight. I pray that you would continue to save the lost, bring the dead to life here in this family, and help us to be a family that walks into this vision. For your glory, God, we pray it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.